This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to Angry Americans. Welcome to episode 77. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. And if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. The only difference between the first responders at ground zero who are sick and dying from toxic exposure is that that was caused by a terrorist attack on our country. The veterans in Iraq and Afghanistan are suffering the same illnesses and the same toxic exposure because of the actions of our own government. We dug burn pits, some of them 10 acres. They burned 24 seven. Everything, every hazardous waste was piled into them. And what's the common uh, uh, ingredient? Jet fuel. Jet fuel as the accelerant at ground zero, jet fuel as the accelerant in these burn pits. And so our veterans lived 24 hours a day, seven days a week, next to toxic smoke, dioxins, everything. And now they're being told, hey man, is that stuff bad for you? I don't know. We don't have the science. It's bullshit. It's bullshit. It's about money. John Stewart is back in Washington. John Stewart is back in the media. And John Stewart is angry because John Stewart, as always, is paying attention. And thank God for John Stewart. He's a conscience for America. He's a fighter for the fighters. He's the Moab of shame. We needed to finally get Washington to pay attention to burn pits and so many other issues. A Moab is the military's mother of all bombs, the biggest bomb we've got. And that's what John Stewart is when we need to shame leaders in Washington to pay attention. He's an angry American for all the right reasons. Burn pits are killing our veterans. Just like ground zero exposures are killing our first responders. And just like COVID is killing so many of our fellow Americans. And just like the stupid is killing so many more. Burn pits are military waste pits that are set on fire. Millions of men and women have been exposed to them. And many are now experiencing and at risk for long-term health effects. Burn pit exposures are setting the lungs of countless veterans on fire. Their lungs are on fire. John Stewart is on fire. The West Coast is on fire. The entire country is on fire. <laughs> cool. <laughs> fire, 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 fire. <laughs> fire is everywhere. And it is not cool. Not at all. It's hot and getting hotter. Oregon, Washington State, California are all on fire. Our cities are on fire. Our Justice Department is on fire. Trump continues to set himself on fire. The pandemic still burns. 
The Denver Nuggets are on fire. So are the Tampa Bay Lightning and Dallas Stars. John Stewart, of course, is on fire because vets' lungs are on fire. Their bodies are on fire. Our body politic is on fire. America is on fire. Literally, the country is on fire. As we end the hottest summer on record and enter what's likely to be the hottest fall we've ever seen, from coast to coast, America is on fire. Even peeps are going down in flames. The company that makes our beloved treat announced this week that there won't be Halloween, Christmas, or Valentine's Day peeps until next year. It feels like everything is on fire. So we need to bring in a firefighter, someone who can handle the heat. So we're bringing back our friend, FDNY firefighter, 9-11 hero, board member of the Ray Pfeiffer Foundation, activist, dad, hockey fan, and all-around American badass, Rob Sarah. There's a time in your life when the world is on your side. 9-11 first responder and retired New York City firefighter Rob Sarah represents the best of us. He's a helper, a leader who runs into danger when others run out. But for the last six months, He's been hunkered down in his basement. He's leading this time by keeping himself safe from COVID-19 so he can lead for his family and be there for his family. 9-11 toxin exposures have left his body battered and his immune system compromised, but it's also hardened his spirit. And Rob is now a leading national voice for first responders everywhere. And he's a conscience for America. After first joining us on Angry Americans way back in episode two, and again on episode 11, Rob is back on the pod to bring the fire like only he can, to help us break down all the fires that are burning all across America right now. It's a conversation with me, a fellow first responder. Rob helps us understand the urgency of burn pits, a health menace now facing millions of veterans nationwide, one that may have taken the life of Joe Biden's son, Bo. Rob explains why burn pits are so connected to 9-11, to Agent Orange, to Jon Stewart, and to the true soul of America. He also analyzes the wildfires raging across the West Coast and the political divisions torching Washington and his hometown of New York City. And he throws in some amazing stories of his grandma Dot, the New York Yankees, being a dad, and how to make the most out of the pandemic. Rob's the real king of Staten Island at least on this show, and for good reason. It's hard to be as outraged as, as we are about 9-11 and the way we were treated if, if you didn't go through it yourself. But it's the other stuff that I think they should care about. The things that, that should make them angry is that the government did lie to us and that 19 years later, they're still fucking with us and they're, they're still withholding funding even after everything we did to get it. They're still using us as a political football. And people should be outraged. By that, because if they're going to do it to us, the people that they plastered all over the news, uh, you know, that these congressmen have plastered all over the walls in their office, if they're going to use us for that purpose, how does that bode well for, for anyone? And he's coming up. Rob's a true helper. I say it in every episode. There are two kinds of leaders in America right now. The first, that are trying to contain and defeat the fire that is the virus and win the war. And the second, that's spreading the fire and trying to kill the rest of us. 
It's simple. All summer and into the fall, we've been facing firestorm after firestorm after firestorm. And this month, it's getting hotter and hotter. The firestorms are getting hotter and more frequent, and understandably, especially as we approach the election, so is the anger. And there are some issues that have me angry, have others angry, and should have everyone angry, especially issues impacting our heroes, the ones that are running into the fires. And on this show, I'm going to continue to bring them to you, the leaders that can take the heat. As the fall gets hotter and more intense, we'll continue to adapt, improvise, and overcome. We'll stay focused, we'll stay vigilant, and we'll stay frosty. NFL football is back for now. College football is back, sort of. The NBA and NHL playoffs have been a welcome escape. Schools are opening and closing and opening and closing. And the only thing spreading faster than the coronavirus at a Trump rally or the wildfires out West is the stupid. The stupid is raging, especially in and around President Mayhem. He's the Santa Ana winds of spreading the stupid. And when it comes to spreading the stupid and starting unnecessary political fires, he's the greatest arsonist we've ever seen. But every fire eventually burns out. And this one will one day too. Hopefully in November at the polls. But fires go out faster when heroes face the flames. Heroes like Rob Sarah. He's the one guest on this show that my five-year-old son really gets excited about. Because he's a real-life firefighter. He's the kind of hero my son can look up to, all of us can look up to. He's my son's favorite, and my son's favorite movie is Planes, Fire and Rescue, a film about a team of heroes like Rob, except they're firefighting planes, planes who save the day, planes who go into the fire when others run out. That's what Rob Sarah is. He's a Skipper Riley of integrity. He's a mayday of information. He's a blade ranger of inspiration, and he's a dusty crop hopper of impact. Welcome to the fire season, and welcome to a conversation with a leader who's been through the fire, can handle the fire, and can take us through the fire. Welcome to Angry Americans, episode 77. gentlemen, angry Americans around the country and around the world. Everything is on fire. And who better to talk to than our favorite firefighting hero, the great and powerful Rob Sarah is back on Angry Americans. Welcome back, my friend. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's been a while. It has been a while. You were telling me earlier you're an OG of AA. Yeah. 
right? I, was, I think I was in two of the first, uh, I don't know, 10, 11 episodes. Not yeah. bad. You were episode two. Yeah. We didn't even have like the full format of first car question and all that. So we got some making up to do. Yeah. And let's, uh, let's do it. And for folks uh, who, who are listening to the first time, you're going to be really in for a treat. Rob's an incredible person, an incredible hero, an incredible dad. He's also got an incredible room. Uh, if you're watching on video, you can see it. If you're listening, you can go to angryamericans.us to see it. But Rob, can you tell folks what's over your shoulders in this like firefighting den of dreams? <laughs> well, it's my guest room, but it's a little buffy. Uh, over this shoulder is my FDNY hockey team jersey, um, as featured on NHL Network last week. Oh, we got to talk about that. Yeah. Behind this shoulder is a, a painting done by my friend, Captain Mike McCaffrey of the FDNY, and one of my fire helmets. And then I got a little Hamlet quote in there, if you can read it. I can't read it, but yeah, is that right? I, I'm impressed that firefighter Rob is, is quoting Hamlet. I'm, well, I, I was an English major and, you know, focused on Shakespeare. I, I got Hamlet tattooed on my arm, so. You do? <laughs> I do, yeah. What is the Hamlet tattoo on your arm? Well, it's actually Fireman Hamlet. You may recognize him. It's the uh, to be or not to be speech. Wow. And I got my uh, Statue of Liberty Ophelia on the background. Wow. How many yeah, hours? How many hours of work is that? Um, you know, I kind of lost track. My friend who did it is a fireman, so we just basically watch movies and rap while uh, while he does it. So that's amazing. The last time, the last time he actually had to stop, he got tired. So wow, we got to bring <laughs> Scott Campbell back. I don't know if you heard that episode with the great Scott Campbell, the tattoo artist, but we got to bring him yeah. back on the show. Maybe we can get you guys together. Um, yeah, I, I can't. I can't talk about this room without recognizing there's also a bed in it. So is this like after you become a firefighter, you're consummated by going into this room or something? Like what, what, (laughs) (laughs) you know, what's this all about here, man? (laughs) Uh, Well, it is part office, but uh, it's part guest room. And I use it basically uh, some, you know, for the nights where I can't make it upstairs. My legs are bothering me or I don't want to annoy my wife all night with my shaking. So I camp out in my buff room. All right. All right. Well, I want to talk about all these things, but, but like to level set, you and I were just talking about something I think we need to talk about more often on this show and more often in this country. Um, it's, it's stressful out there, man. Like, especially for those of us with little kids, I think it's stressful for everybody, but especially for those of us with little kids, like you were nice enough to do a question from my five-year-old before we got started. And he asked you what the biggest vehicle in your firehouse was. And you told him, Something that I don't even know how to pronounce. <laughs> a tower ladder. A tower ladder? The ones with the big buckets that go. Oh, and he knew exactly what that was. Well, he knew, yeah. Yeah, I had no idea what that was. But it's the truck that goes up to the skyscrapers, right? Yeah. So you're a guy who's been in a lot of shit, but this is a very crazy time, right? Like, I got little ones, you got little ones. You said you had three people going to school in the rooms next to you right now, right? Yeah, they're on three different floors, which is why I'm I'm on my phone right now because the, you know, I'm the odd man out with the computers. But I got Linda's in the attic, Francesca's uh, in her bedroom, and Vincent's in the dining room, and my wife is the hall monitor going up and down the stairs. Unbelievable, unbelievable. Yeah. So we haven't talked to you since the pandemic started. 
it was about a year and a half ago since we really went deep and a lot's going on. So I want to talk about wildfires. I want to talk about 9-11. I want to talk about just your view of, of the landscape. Uh, maybe we'll talk a little hockey and football, but as at a starting point, the thing I've been asking everybody is, is how are you and where are you? So tell folks where you are and what this, you know, six months of the pandemic so far has been like for you, man. Uh, I'm still in Staten Island, New York. Um, still in my house. Uh, you know, I've gone out a few times. Um, haven't really been indoors anywhere. Um, to be honest, the only, really the only two places I went, I went to a, uh, my friend's funeral last week, uh, firefighter Chris Lowe, and I went to my mother-in-law's on 9-11. Uh, we stayed outside. Um, but besides that, this is it, man. I've been in the house. Um, haven't been feeling that great anyway, so I don't know how much going out I've been doing. Uh, but with that said, you know, I'm, I'm just being cautious because I don't want to feel worse. So, mm. Can know. you talk to folks about, you know, uh, and I'm, I think it's really important to talk to you because you, you've been, you know, there, there are folks that are kind of taking this different levels of, of, of focus and intensity, right? And for different reasons. But for folks who maybe didn't hear the first interview or aren't understanding the severity of what this environment is like, why are you going to such lengths for yourself? Uh, because of my underlying issues, you know, uh, uh, obviously associated with 9-11. Um, I have respiratory issues. I have autoimmune issues. Um, you know, so I'm highly compromised as it is. And getting a, a respiratory virus uh, doesn't seem like something that would be fun. Um, I know a lot of a lot of the 9-11 responders that get it have a very tough time. Even if they didn't have apparent underlying issues, I feel like the virus kind of accelerates them. Um, you know, we've had several deaths um, to COVID, but, but obviously with uh, 9-11 being the underlying issues. So for me, I just, you know, I try to treat it like everyone has it. You know, um, you know I understand the, the case for, you know, living your life and, and all that, but, you know, I'm not really living my life anymore. Um, you know, my life is already restricted because of all those issues. So for me, you know, I've, I've told you before, my, my main, main mission right now is to be here for my children. Um, and, you know, going to the store or going to the thing, all the things that I could do for myself, just unimportant, you know, I'd rather be in the other room than be in a hospital bed or whatever. So I, you know, I, for me, it's an easy decision to just, you know, hunker down because, you know, I don't, I don't know how long I'm going to be here anyway. Um, so I'm, I certainly don't want to accelerate, you know, the things that may kill me anyway. So I want to, I want to get like an army of people to stand around your house to guard you. Like, you know, you have <laughs> the, the rolling thunder guys would come out in the, in the motorcycles with the flags and sometimes <laughs> guard funerals against like crazy protesters. Right. I feel like we need to wrap you and Norman Lear was on this show. There are a couple other folks that are really so important to the country that we got to help keep you safe. But I also, you know, man, I just want to tell you how much respect I have. I know how much discipline it takes, how much hard work it takes just to keep your family safe and, and you're doing it for them. And that's why I love you because you're a hero who's always selfless. And part of why I wanted to talk to you now, because I think it's an inspiration. You know, I had a rough week. I think a lot of folks are having a rough time now. It's like September is kind of I think it's when a lot of shit's coming around, right? Like, like September is where the PPE money, the PPP money's running out. The PPE is running out. Uh, school's starting back up. You know, 
it's just, it's people are tired. It's been six months. I feel like September is going to be hard and October might be harder and November might be even harder. And we need, you know, perspective. And, um, I gotta tell you, man, I was like, shit, I got no problems compared to, you know, what Rob's dealing with and what his family's dealing with and what the people close to you dealing with. So a lot of respect, man, especially this time of year. I mean, you mentioned it, you know, the two times you've gone out, um, where, you know, to a funeral and to an on nine 11. Um, I want to talk about the, the impact that the virus has had on nine 11 first responders, but I want to just, we passed nine 11. I want to get your thoughts on this nine 11. Um, you, you, your first day on the job with the FDNY was, was on nine 11, right? And, uh, your brother's a firefighter, your family's, you know, so involved. You're on the foundation, on the board at the Pfeiffer Foundation, 19 year anniversary, nine 11. What, what are your reflections, Rob? Um, well, this year was obviously a bit different. Um, I wasn't able to do the things that I usually do, you know, for my own mental health, you know, which is go see the guys, uh, have a couple of adult beverages and go to the ceremony at night and listen to the, the, uh, the amazing, uh, FDNY Emerald Society pipe band. Um, you know, I couldn't do any of that this year. Um, but that, you know, as I've told you, my wife lost her father. Vincent Widow uh, on 9-11. He was a, a vice president at Ken Fitzgerald. Um, so uh, I was able to spend the day with her and her family, uh, which is something I haven't done in a long time. Uh, and it, it definitely gave me a, you know, a different perspective, you know, to see, you know, it's 19 years later and, and this family, you know, they were all sharing their stories about that day, things that I've heard, but it's probably been about 10 years. Um, things that we don't talk about all year long. And they would, you know, just everyone basically was telling when they finally realized that he wasn't coming home, you know, and to see the vast number of people in this backyard over, over losing one person, you know, 19 years later that, you know, I've said it before, that 9-11 is going to affect generations. And, and I was seeing it, you know, my, my kids were sitting there watching the TV for the first time asking questions like, why did this happen? Uh, you know, my daughter asked me, you're going to love this one. She asked me if I would be okay if the government didn't lie to us. Uh, my 11-year-old daughter asked me that. Um, you know, we had to explain to her that people like me, me and you, who were there in the first few days, uh, you know, it wouldn't have mattered. But, you know, just that my kids are asking those questions now. And we have to have those tough conversations, you know. Um, I think it was good for me. You know, it was good to hear... Um, hear the other perspective, you know, cause I was there trying to save people like her, her dad, you know, and, and to know that there were people at home, you know, watching TV with bated breath, waiting for the phone to ring, you know, and that we were giving them hope, you know, it makes me feel a little bit better about what we were doing, you know, even though we didn't really get to give many people the phone calls that they wanted. Um, so it, it, I think it was kind of cathartic for me and I'm actually glad that I spent the day with them instead of, instead of going to the city because, you know, you, I think we lose sight of that, that especially me because I'm dealing with, I guess the fallout would be the proper word of 9-11. Um, they're dealing with, they're still dealing with the singular moment of that day, you know, and what they lost and, and the years and memories that they lost. Now, kind of rambling on there, but it was it's 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 hard to explain to people that that didn't go through it to watch a loved one die on live TV. Um, 
that's got to be rough. You know, I can't, I can't imagine what they all felt like when those towers fell down, you know, in the middle of a news broadcast. Um, your, your, yeah. your rambles are the best kind of rambles. <laughs> you know, really, as you take us through history and you take us through what you're experiencing, did you and your wife know each other on 9-11? No. Um, so, you, so she, her father was in the tower and you were on the ground. And right. here we are 19 years later and the two of you are married and connected to that moment in such a different and powerful way. Yeah. And ironically, we lived on the same street on 9-11 uh, at opposite ends. Um, so about a mile apart, but we, we had never met. Um, we didn't know each other, but, uh, but we were that close. You know, I probably, I honestly, I drove past her house on 9-11 on my way to the firehouse to, you know, she's on my route, you know, so I drove past her house on my way to, to ground zero. So, mm. you know, if you believe in that kind of stuff, uh, you know, there's a lot of, there were a lot of signs there, you know? Yeah. I mean, I try to reflect on how, you know, some good came out of it. And I know I wouldn't have met my wife if not for that day, because the series of events led me to Iraq to found IVA. And then I meet my wife who, you know, wants to support, but it, it never would have happened if not for nine 11. So I do try to find those, those bright spots. I think it was last year on 9-11, you were at my house and we ended the night uh, after quite a few adult beverages of me riding your scooter through lower Manhattan. <laughs> right? You know, was that I, last I year or the year before? Was that last year or the year before? That was last year. Shit, man. It's all kind of blurring together for me, right? Well, well I, still, I still have the recording, so you might want to be nice to me. <laughs> <laughs> you might have to repost that. <laughs> Now the streets are kind of empty like they were on 9-11 all the time, right? I mean, the streets are so different. The city's so different. Uh, the country's so different. But let me ask you something. So was it Linda or Francesca that asked you the question about the government? So Linda. So Linda, Linda asks you if, if, if the government hadn't lied to us and we knew how bad it was, right? Would we have still gone down there? And I, I, I love your answer and I, I share that, that sentiment. Um, you know, I, I struggled to explain this to, to Ryder, who's five now, and, he, you know, we make it a celebration of firefighters. And I try to explain to him, you know, as best I can, age appropriate, right, like what this day is all about. I haven't even gotten to the baby yet. But this was the first year I felt like an old guy. I felt like I – and maybe also I felt like people were paying attention more, maybe because they were all in their home. It was, it was kind of – it was both things. They were paying attention more because of the pandemic and they were home. And they had to, but they also maybe weren't as sensitive to it because they feel like everybody's life sucks now. And, and, and they don't, I think the sympathy well is a little bit dried up, right? But, but you know, it still comes back around in powerful and important ways. And now you and, and I and others have to be kind of the keepers of the flame. We have to teach the lessons and the history in the same way the older generation did for Pearl Harbor or when Kennedy got shot, right? We have to explain that. But let me ask you a straight up question, man. Everybody says never forget. You and I have been in this fight for a while now. Do you feel like the country forgot? Um, I don't know. I think, it, I think it'd be hard for me to be the judge of that just because, you know, people like you put me out there. So, I, you know, I got a lot of messages and a lot of, uh, you know, I, I get a lot of support from around the country. Um, but it certainly would seem that way. Um, you know, for all the reasons you just said, you know, that there's a lot of shit going on, you know, and I've said that from the beginning, I, that, you know, I understand, you know, 
even five years ago, I was saying this. I understand other pe- people have shit going on in their lives. People, you know, people go through tragedy all the time. Uh, you know, it's hard to care, not care, but it's, you know, it's hard to be as outraged as, as we are about 9-11 and the way we were treated if, if you didn't go through it yourself because you might have had your own relatives die from cancer or, or in a, you know, murdered or in an accident or whatever. So it's hard, you know, I get that point, but, but it's the other stuff that I think they should care about. The things that, that should make them angry is that the government did lie to us and that 19 years later, they're still fucking with us and they're, they're still <laughs> withholding funding even after everything we did to get it. They're still using us as a political football. And people should be outraged by that because if they're going to do it to us, the people that they plastered all over the news, uh, you know, that these congressmen have plastered all over the walls in their office and claim we're the reasons that inspired them to join the military and blah, 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 and to serve and, and, and all this. If they're, to, if they're going to use us for that purpose, but then in the same breath, essentially shit all over us and, and let us suffer and die. What is, how does that bode well for, for anyone? How does it bode well for how they're going to treat any tragedy or any first responder or the military, as we're seeing now with the burn pits and Agent Orange, which has been 40-something years? And it, it, it's, it's just a sign of, of what they're capable of and, and, and what, they'll get, what they'll do when they think they can get away with it, when people will just let it pass as just another just another day, you know, 9-11, yeah, everyone says never forget it, and it's become a, a, an afterthought and a joke for people like Daniel Tosh, who, you know, have, if you watch his show, half his things, he throws in a never forget, as, and we know what he's doing, you know, that kind of trivializing what never forget really is supposed to mean, you know? For me, yeah, I, I'm never going to forget because I can't, because I can't walk. <laughs> it's hard for me to forget what happened on 9-11 when I, when I, look at my kids faces or see my wife so it's easy for me to say never forget but these other people need to realize that it's more important for, for them to not forget because it can happen again and it will happen again if we keep allowing you know politicians to, to use us as as you know uh, you didn't ask me what makes me angry but i think uh i think we just found it i think it's hypocrisy and it's 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 Here's the thing. Military members, first responders, we have this thing inside of us, this desire to do good, right? We just want to do the right thing, as Ray would say. And there are people out there who take advantage of that, and they know it, which is why they knew that they didn't have to tell us the truth about the air ground zero. You know why? Because firemen are going to go down there, police officers, EMTs are going to go down there to find their loved ones and to clean up their city, no matter what you say. because it was the right thing to do, right? So they knew that they could get away with saying whatever they want and, and, and get Wall Street open and blah, 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 because they knew that, that at the end of the day, we're always going to do the right thing. And, and that's what really pisses me off is these people who take advantage of that trait. We should be, we should be as you said you say before about carrying the light, that's the light. You know, that's the light that's getting put out right now. Not, not... <laughs> Not literally with half the country burning, but but that's the light that we're losing because mm. we are, you know, we're trivializing things like never forget when we should be we should be propping up those heroes who who climbed a hundred flights of stairs knowing that they weren't coming back down. That is a I can't imagine that. Could you imagine walking up those stairs 
after the other building already collapsed. And, but these guys did it. We have the recordings. They did it because it was the right thing to do. It had nothing to do with the fact that they were getting a paycheck. What is that paycheck? You know what it is. It's, it's nothing. It's nothing compared to Bill de Blasio's paycheck. <laughs> right? He could take a week off without pay and not, not feel it. So, you know, a fireman can't do that. You know what a week's pay would do to a fireman? He'd lose his house. So they're never going to understand that. They're never going to understand that of doing the right thing for the sake of doing the right thing. And I think when people say never forget, that's what they shouldn't forget. Forget about the buildings. Forget about what happened. Forget about this, you know, literally what happened on 9-11. That's fine. Go ahead. Forget it. But don't forget about the sheer goodness and humanity that was shown that day. Besides the evil that was shown, that's what we can't forget. We can't forget that there are good people. And, and that there are people who are willing to die for you and me. And, and, and that's a good thing. So we shouldn't, we shouldn't downplay that. We shouldn't trivialize it. And we shouldn't use that trait, um, you know, for politics and to gain money and to gain power or get elected. Because at the end of the day, we're only hurting society because there's going to be less people to, to help because people aren't going to want to do it eventually. You're going to run out of helpers. Mm. All right. Rent over. Rent over. <laughs> Amen. I I love your rants. That's why I'm honored to know you because they they ground us. Um, and especially right now. I mean, I want to d- drill deeper on one thing that folks may not be tracking on. So in the middle of the last couple of weeks, there was the story about how people have forgotten. And you you've been great over the last year or two when members of Congress would vote against the extension of this Zadroga bill, you'd find a tweet where they said they supported 9-11 and never forget. And you went back at them and said, hey, never forget, right? And so many of them did forget. And, and, and we see it almost every year. John Stewart had to bang on the drum and run in front of every TV camera to get the Zadroga bill extended last summer, um, even when Rand Paul and others tried to block it. Now Trump wants to take credit for it. In my view, he didn't do shit except sign it. And we all know that. But here we are, you know, another year, and there was another fight to be had because they were fucking with the money again. Can you, can you just explain to folks the story that if they weren't in New York, maybe they didn't see it or they weren't tracking on Trump? What happened, you know, in the last week that, that it's another example of how they forgot? Sure. Uh, I'll break it down in, in firefighter terms. Uh, essentially, what happened is they... They used money that was met for the FDNY World Trade Center Health Program, which is almost, you know, almost, it's not as big as the World Trade Center Health Program. It just covers the FDNY, but it's, it's integral. I mean, it's, it is what the World Trade Center Health Program was based on. It's what, it's basically the gold standard for, for dealing with the, you know, the tragedies, I mean, the health effects of, of, uh, Toxic exposure. It's what they're using now as the ground, as the template for burn pits. Uh, Dr. Kelly started it, uh, I think, in October of 2001. She was on top of it and started this program. So essentially, what the government did was they withheld over four million dollars over the case of four. I think it was like four years over the course of four years uh, from that program, which which goes towards cancer treatments. Um, you know, anything from from annual medicals, the stuff they used to get in the other program, the same. You know, the same things, um, medications, um, probably doctors and nurses pay, I would imagine. Um, they withheld $4 million of that money. Um, 
it seems like they're trying to say it was a tax ID mix up, but it seems like they were using that money to collect debts owed to the government by the city of New York, um, which is a separate entity from the FDNY. I mean, we're affiliated with the city of New York, but the FDNY health program is not Bill de Blasio. Um, certainly not. Um, so that's what happened. So basically, we got caught in the pissing match between uh, de Blasio and the Trump administration, um, which, as I said in my tweet last night, you know, 9-11 has been a pissing match between politicians for 19 years. And it's the first responders and the, and the survivors are the only ones getting wet. Um, we're always, you know, on the short end of, of that stick. And we're always going to be used as a political football, which is why I personally didn't even comment on the story. I wasn't surprised. Um, you know, I think we knew getting a permanent bill signed last year didn't mean that this kind of bullshit was going to go away. They're always going to find a way to, to, you know, never let a good tragedy go to go to waste, right? Well, they're going to get their money's worth out of, uh, out of 9-11. And they so, never, you know, it's amazing how long it takes from the time you and I see it to the time somebody in a position of power does something about it, right? And usually we see it a couple weeks after it happened, whatever the it is, right? And then we elevate it. We scream like hell and hope that folks in the media and in government will respond. And I don't know if even now Trump has even said anything about it. But I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, the commander in chief or the mayor or the governor can jump in and fix it. And instead of finger pointing, they can say, I'm going to take responsibility. These guys did that on 9-11 and gals did this on 9-11. I'm going to do the same thing. But instead, to your point, it becomes this pissing match and it becomes amazingly difficult for us to get these simple things fixed. And that takes us into the new fight, right, which is not new for us, but burn pits. We've talked about it on the show. I've been fighting on it since I got home in 2004. We started seeing effects in 2006. You know, somebody told me that, that advocacy is not a big bang, it's a drumbeat. And we started this drumbeat a long time ago. I mean, I remember going on TV the first time and saying, let me tell you what a burn pit is, right? And that's how it works. Like, that's how advocacy works. You educate people, and then you convert people, and over time you move people, and then you get changed. But it takes a long time. And now, everybody's on burn pits, right? Like, like now it's popular. Awesome. That's victory for us. I am not mad at them. I'm happy to see that. But it still took... It takes that thing, right, that one pop. And, and I thought it was going to be Joe Biden uh, admitting publicly that he thought burn pits were what caused uh, Bo Biden's cancer. And for folks, if you're new to this, burn pits are toxin exposures. They take a bunch of medical, military waste, put it in a big pit, set it on fire for sometimes weeks or months, and we all stood around and breathed it in. And, and the impacts, um, the health, long-term health impacts, respiratory issues, cancers are similar to what we saw after 9-11. So I've been saying for a decade and a half, it, the, the best reference point is 9-11. And we're going to need a similar response in terms of the Zadroga bill to handle all the long-term health impacts. But we had Joe Biden say, maybe my son died from this. And it never really bubbled up. Maybe now it will. But it took Jon Stewart again. And Jon Stewart, God bless him, like if that dude, you know, pulled over on the side of the road to pick a flower, everybody would cover it, right? I mean, anything he does, people will cover. And he knows that. And for a while, maybe he was a little reluctant. Now he's like, fuck it. I'm going to do it because nobody else will. I wish he was the mayor in New York. I wish he was the president. But in the meantime, he is, you know, our best ally, our best weapon, because he can amplify stuff like, like only he can. So we saw that this week. Now everybody's talking about burn pits. 
at least we got their attention for a minute. But you've been in rooms with John. You, you know, you walked the halls and you rode the halls in a wheelchair. Um, you know, what do you, what do you think about that moment? And like, take us behind the scenes. You did that before when you're on my radio show with, with, with John, but you know, his outrage is, is grounded in, in a righteousness because even John Stewart gets, gets blown off and they fuck with him too. Right. (laughs) But what, 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 what's your reaction? That was, that was my rant, but what's your reaction to this, this turn of events where it seems like we have kind of a tipping point and John's out in front again. Um, behind the scenes, uh, ironically, a lot of, uh, a lot of times we would hear fraud as their main concern when, when it had to do with nine 11. And to this date, there's been zero cases of fraud within the nine 11 health program. However, there's been fraud perpetrated by the government in ex- executing the 9-11 health program. So that should tell you all you need to know. Um, you know, as, as Trey Gowdy recently said, who I can't believe I'm quoting, but in his eight years in Washington, he never saw anybody change their mind. Um, and I'm not convinced that John Stewart or me or Ray or John Field or anybody changed anybody's mind. I think we elevated the drumbeat, you know, to maybe a bit of a Dave Grohl and and basically made it where they couldn't ignore it and made it where the public was as outraged as we were. And I think that's what John Stewart does is he he takes our voices. He fed off of our anger because he, you know, he would talk to us. He's a regular guy and he would see what we're going through and it would piss him off. And it should have. And he knew he had the microphone and he knows he's got he's got people's attention. Um, but at the end of the day he's not changing anybody's mind. I don't, I don't think there's a person in Washington who doesn't think that that Bo Biden died from burn pits. How could you not? I mean, we have 19 years of evidence of what these toxins do to you. Um, you know, and I, I just feel like it's just another case of our leaders leading from behind. They, they wait to see which way the wind's blowing, uh, you know, bad metaphor for burn pits, but they wait to see, you know, how, how outraged people are. Um, and that's what makes them act. It's not the right thing, you know, because if it was the right thing, Vietnam vets still wouldn't be fighting the VA over Agent Orange, mm-hmm. right? If it was the right thing to do, it wouldn't even be a question. Yeah. So, I don't know, I just think, you know, I'm glad John's, John's uh, you know, back in the game. He's done with his movie, and he's ready to roll, and I'm, I'm happy for that. But, you know, I don't think he's going to change anybody's mind there. I think all he's going to do is embarrass them and, and shame them into, uh, into action. And, you know, as you know, shame and money are the only thing that get, are the only things that move the needle in Washington. Right. That's uh, true. That's true. I mean, you, you, know, you, 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 you kind of Claire, you know, you, you remind me of that all the time. I mean, John Stewart, you know, Trump likes to talk about the military a lot and he talks about the Moab, the mother of all bombs. And then Don Trump Jr. likes to talk about this massive bomb that, you know, clears a ridiculous amount of space, right, that we have in our disposal. Like, John Stewart is, is a Moab of shame, right? Like, when you drop John Stewart on, he shames the shit out of everybody in a way that nobody else can, in an effective way, powerful way. And I'm so thankful he's out there. I mean, it's, I, I, you know, I think we're also at a point where so many of us have died. You started the hashtag, my friends are dying. Um, we're so tired 
on some levels. We're worried about our kids. We're not sure they're going to get taken. It used to be, hey, we're not sure you're going to take care of us. Now it's, we're not sure you're going to take care of our kids. And that creates a new sense of urgency for me. Like my mom listens to the show. Hi, Ma. I love you. Um, Hi, Mom. And, 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 and I'm sorry, but like I went on, John, I went on, a, on a Morning Joe last week. And they asked me to ask a question to the lawyer. And, and I basically said, I'm going to die probably from either. I said, I said probably from 9-11 shit. I'm probably going to die from that. Either it'll be 9-11 shit or it'll be burn pits. Maybe both. Like I got the double whammy, right? And yeah. other guys and gals do too. But that's probably what's going to kill me. Maybe I'll get hit by a car or a lion will eat me or something. But, but I said that in public. And I think my mom called me in tears and she's like, I'm just, I'm just sad about this. And, you know, I, I kind of forget sometimes because I do this so often in public, how it impacts the people around me, but we have a new urgency because we're worried about our kids. And I go to that nine 11 health registry every year. I remember when it was kind of rinky dink and, and then it was smooth and now it's rocking, you know, and we need it now more than ever. But I want to come back to one really important point. Can you give us an update? Um, so many nine 11 first responders have died. One died on 9-11. We were losing at some point maybe two dozen a week. And now we're losing a lot of them to COVID. Um, as best as you're able, can you give us a quick update on how many people are dying or what the situation is? You said you went to a funeral. Can you put people in those shoes a little bit? Because this is a death toll I don't think most Americans understand. It's kind of like veteran suicide. It's like some other issues. We're just losing brothers and sisters every day. One Rachel Maddow told me once that she thought that veteran suicide, the only comparable she could think of was AIDS because it was when, you know, something came through and took a lot of people before their time and it was hidden and it took a certain group of people and the government and others didn't respond. I thought that was a powerful comparison, right? Because in many ways, veteran suicide was like our AIDS. Now we got COVID, we got other things, but talk about this death toll of first responders and where are we now? Uh, we're in the thousands. We've already surpassed the number of people who died on 9-11. Um, I don't have an exact number, but, but I believe it's around 5,000. Um, we have 20,000 people in the health program right now battling at least one 9-11 cancer. Uh, uh, I think it's like 12,600 of them are first responders. The FDNY alone has pre-COVID numbers. This is because the program's been shut down. So in March, we were up to 2,800 members with at least one cancer. Um, to put that in perspective, the second biggest fire department in the country is LA. They have 3,500 members. So, <laughs> you know, 2,800 members is a lot of people. Um, and that's just with cancer. You know, most, most FDNY members who were there are battling, you know, the dozens of other illnesses just like me. Um, the, the official count right now for FDNY is 227 members died from a 9-11 illness. Um, unfortunately, you know, uh, we lost one on 9-11 this year. Uh, Timmy Burke, he was the last one to die. Uh, you know, within, within uh, about an hour of the firehouse ceremony, they got the news that, uh, that Timmy passed away. Um, you know... The national program, I'm not really privy to their numbers. I know that they're still not functioning, which is a big concern for me. Um, the FDNY uh, has recently started doing in-person screening again, um, and that's huge for us. Uh, screening is our number one ally, as you know. 
these cancers happen fast um, and they take you down quickly. They call them cancers on steroids. You know, uh, this is a drum beat. I'm going to keep drumming for anybody who was there listening. You know, I give these two examples of people that I knew in my life. Uh, firefighter Tommy Phelan, who is responsible for saving my life one night uh, at a fire in, in, in Chinatown. Um, on 9-11, he was a ferry boat captain. And he made uh, dozens of trips back to, to Lower Manhattan to evacuate people. He evacuated thousands of people from Lower Manhattan. And he stayed there all day. And in the following days, he kept operating. He was also a member of the Coast Guard. Tommy was 45 years old. And I believe it was in November of 2017, he ran the New York City Marathon. And by March of the following year, he was dead from lung cancer. That is a person who was strong and healthy and within five months was dead. Uh, another one would be Sergeant Ned Thompson, 39-year-old police sergeant, uh, had four young girls. This was back in, in 08. He went to the doctor just before Christmas because he thought he had the flu. He had lung cancer. He was dead by March. This is what we're dealing with. It's, it, it goes from a cough or just a headache or not feeling well to you have stage four cancer and you're dead. Uh, so when we lost the program, we, we don't know where we're at. We have no idea. Um, you know, we're still getting applications with the Ray Pfeiffer Foundation. Um, but we're really worried about, about the influx we're about to get hit with once these screenings start again. Because we're getting closer to the 20th anniversary, which is, which is where we're supposed to start seeing the asbestos-related diseases. Uh, you know, as you know, there were 400 tons of asbestos used in the construction of the World Trade Center. So how much was that in the air? All of it, right? And it was burning too. So as we get closer to that, um, any experts say that's really when our diseases are going are gonna to hit a spike, which is pretty fucking scary considering how bad it is right now. Um, not that there's ever a good time for a pandemic, but this is the worst time for 9-11 first responders to, to have a pandemic and to have doctors shut down, cancer treatments delayed, and, and all that jazz. And then not only that, but putting, putting someone on chemotherapy at risk to go to Sloan, uh, at risk to COVID, which would, only, which would probably kill them, you know? Um, so, you know, that's where we're at. Uh, we're kind of at a point where we don't know where we're at because of COVID. Um, my hope is that maybe I'm just being a little worried. And, and, and once the, the numbers start coming out from the FDNY, uh, it's not as bad as I thought. But when we lose a first responder pre-COVID every two and a half days to a 9-11 illness, uh, and those numbers were increasing, um, I can only imagine what it's going to be like now. I mean, we don't know how, how many we might have lost and didn't even know it, you know? Yep. Who knows? So you, you, you have been great, Rob, in, um, in framing this issue up. You know, you do a lot of media. You're, everybody should follow you on Twitter. Um, I, you know, will do all I can to help elevate you and you and I are cooking up some stuff to hopefully amplify that, but you've been great at shaping how it's not just a New York issue, right? And all 50 states have people impacted. You've talked at length about the kids at Stuyvesant High School, which you folks don't know, it's just a couple blocks away from ground zero. You know, you got kids there coming up with cancer. Um, but you know, the, the response we saw for the first responders in COVID was heartening to me. It felt like how we got treated after 9-11 when we went below Canal Street, right? I tried to explain that feeling to people and they didn't understand. And if there's a silver lining here, it's, you know, being in a window in an apartment with my kids, you know, hearing 
people, you know, sing New York, New York and cheer for people. And then, and then it cascaded across the whole country and the whole world. Right. And we were following the Italians who started it, or whoever started it. Right. But now I think there is a new appreciation again or a reappreciation for first responders. And as we have this conversation, basically the entire West Coast is on fire. So um, I also wanted to talk to you now because that is happening. And, and I always want to have a, a, a national and a global perspective. Washington, Oregon, California hit very hard. Looks like this is going to be, you know, the new normal where there are serious wildfires every year or ongoing. What's, what's your take on it? What do you want people to know about the firefighters that are out there in the ship right now and being exposed to God knows what? But what do, you, what do you want them to think about and know about as they watch these fires on TV and think about the people who are running into them? Because you've been that guy running into them. Um, there's about 31,000 of them fighting those fires right now. Uh, I was just reading before that if you added all the fires together, it'd be bigger than the state of New Jersey. Um, that is, that's scary. Um, I've never, I've never been to a forest fire. Um, it's close as we have a brush fires here on Staten Island, but it's nowhere near that intense. Um, it's a totally different ball game. Sorry, my uh, technical difficulties. I might have to get Linda. That's Hold perfect on. timing that your light went out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so Rob's light just went out, which is good because. Uh, he, you know, he, he needs a break from the heat <laughs> if anybody does. Right. But um, 31,000 of them are out there in there. Which I'll, I'll take this opportunity. to. He's got his Hobart college shirt on. He's taking that off to reveal, what is that? A Ranger shirt underneath? Who, what, I can't see the bottom. Yeah. Well, that's a cool Ranger shirt. The Statue yeah. of Liberty. All right. Let, let's do a sidebar here. Uh, while growing out my hockey hair too. Yeah. You got, you got the, you're a dedicated hockey fan. You got the yeah. FDNY hockey hat on. If folks don't know, it was, uh, man, when was that, that we did the, the charity hockey event for, uh, FD, for the Piper foundation. We had FDNY and, and NYPD. Uh, it right. was back in all the way back in February. Holy shit. In February, <laughs> thanks to a lot of folks who listen to this show. Uh, you know, Rob and others hooked up and we had the Chicago PD and the FDMY play a charity hockey game in Staten Island. My son was there. Your son was there. They dropped the first puck. It was awesome. But I think it was a great response and something I'm really proud of that came out of this show and came out of this community. But uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come. This is my, my warning to tell you we're coming back to hockey. But right. for now, let's finish up on the wildfires. <laughs> what, right. what else do you think we need to know about those wildfires? Um, I think we need to know that, that, uh, it's getting late in the season out there. Um, you know, we're in the end of September. Most of those jobs are seasonal. A lot of them are college kids going back to school. Um, so they're, they're really running well on manpower. It seems, um, you know, they have some plans to, uh, you know, try to get, try to combine their efforts and form teams out of whoever's left. Uh, it seems like, but I was just reading, um, camp, uh, Pendleton. Yeah, for they're sending 250 Marines. That's what um, yeah, so you know, it seems like it's uh, it's uh, it's getting tougher. You know, I can't imagine they work 16-hour shifts um, for days at a time, and now they're dealing with COVID. Also, you know, I think a big part of forest firefighting is the camp setup and the morale. You know, certainly gets boosted by I guess hanging out. And, you know when the shift is over and, and it doesn't seem like they're doing any of that, the 10 cities are smaller. Um, they have different protocols. So I think COVID is, is throwing a monkey wrench into their firefighting, but 
you know, it's totally different than structural firefighting. Um, you know, our main, at least in New York, when we do an interior attack, you know, our purpose is to go in and, and extinguish the fire. But when you're dealing with hundreds and thousands of acres, they got to do cold lines around it or they do back burns to try to cut the fire off. They're really, uh, you know, they're, they're playing catch up. You know, I don't think, I think we're past the point of, of uh, direct extinguishment out there. Um, you know, the fires are jumping over highways and, you know, I think they're having containment issues. And I think the fact that it's still so hot um, definitely would be slowing them down. I know for me on a hot day in the summer, it was definitely harder to, to fight a fire and recover for the next one. So these guys, guys and girls have to be very uh, physically drained, you know, and, and hydration would be a concern. And, you know, I, I think that would probably slow them down. Um, yeah. It's fucking hard. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, it's, I can't imagine, you know, and, and the wind can shift. It's totally different. You know, we, the exterior conditions definitely affect you in a structural fire, but if you're in the middle of a forest and, and the wind shifts and you're surrounded by fire and you got to jump in one of those bags, uh, I can't imagine what, what would be going through your mind. Um, so it's dangerous and it's scary and, and you're kind of out there on your own. And, you know, um, as we were saying before, we should be happy that we have 31,000 people willing to go out there and, and, and do this kind of stuff and, and, and actually, uh, you know, put their money where their mouth is, not just sit around talking about doing things like some other people. So, um, well, I like, hopefully I like it cools to- off and hopefully the rain helps, but, uh, you know, they, they're in the middle of a big battle. So, and we got hurricanes coming in right behind them. Right? Yeah. Like one hit after another. And, and it's, one of the areas where I feel like the president is really doing us an incredible disservice. We could be unified as a country and sending our National Guard and the president directing the National Guard in to fight fires, and he could be leading that and driving that instead of sending the National Guard in to bust up peaceful protesters in Washington. But that's a leadership choice. And you've seen a lot of good leaders and a lot of bad leaders. You and I have both been you know, unloading on de Blasio because I think it's warranted. Um, I want to just give you, you know, a chance because I think it's been politicized as well. Um, New York is in is in the, the crosshairs again because of 9-11, but also because of de Blasio and the deterioration of the city. One third of the city in Manhattan is unemployed. It, 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 in my view, is going down in a bad direction fast. I don't, I don't think that Trump, Trump obviously exaggerates everything, but um, Trump's attacks on the city should not take people away from the fact that there are some serious problems happening there. And I think the leadership in de Blasio is, is, is maybe one of the things we could change the fastest to make the biggest difference. But what's your take, man? I mean, again, you're in Staten Island, which got, which gets hit hard and hit differently, but what's your take on where the city is? Because it's a reflection of where a lot of cities are. Um, I'm going to give you the Staten Island perspective first, um, because I think it's important because I think what, what is, What's happening on Staten Island and what has happened to Blasio's entire ter- uh, two terms is exactly what Trump is doing to him. You know, they, you, all these reports that he didn't want to help blue states and, and, you know, that's why he's fighting with Cuomo and de Blasio and all that. Everyone knows that. I don't have to give you that information. But that's what de Blasio does to Staten Island because Staten Island is New York's only red borough. Staten Island has over 80 speed cameras in, on an island that's only 24 miles long. Uh, a speak. I can't drive more than two blocks without a speed camera. Why is that? That's some sort of retaliation. I think so. Um, that not, he's always withholding funds, uh, you know, whether it's 
for the uh, showing up our seawall or or even nonsense things like over the summer there's a there's a city program to open fire hydrants and have sprinklers all around the city you know um except on staten island it didn't meet the criteria like, what is that so you're doing the same nonsense that you're blaming trump for because because 80 percent of the people here don't vote republic uh, don't vote democrat that's why you're doing it you know um what about the 20 percent who do they go kick rock does it shouldn't even fucking matter no so i think you know it, it, it's comical when i see him tweeting about the president and doing all this because you do the same exact bullshit in your own city and you and just admit it it's because it's five hundred thousand votes so what does he give a shit you know it's that's if the people i'm gonna have to go lightless for a little while sorry okay, go for it but it's five hundred thousand votes if if people show up to vote because i think only seven hundred thousand in the whole city voted in the last election so how many votes does he give it up Basically none, because most of them aren't going to vote for him anyway. So he just gives up on the on, on the borough as a whole. Besides killing our groundhog, um, he just, for people who don't know, <laughs> Groundhog Day a couple years back, uh, De Blasio is so de- detested by everyone. It includes groundhogs. The groundhog, I think, he dropped the groundhog. Groundhog jumped out of his arms, right, and landed on its head and died. Is that what happened? Yeah. Well, smart groundhog, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And we joke, but I mean, I think the part that you're, you're nailing that I've been trying to elevate, and if, if you're listening from a place that's not near New York City, you're like, why does this matter? Well, I think it matters because in the same way New York City was the epicenter for the attacks on 9-11, New York City was the epicenter for COVID. And in the same way, in my view, um, you know, leadership failures happened after 9-11 that resulted in trauma and loss and, and weakness for America. The same thing is happening cascading out of New York City. I think the only you know leader that's worse than than De Blasio is Trump, but De Blasio is terrible, and and he's failing, and he's more like Trump than people realize, and he's he's arrogant, um, he's disconnected, um, he's he's spiteful, he's petty, um, and he's weak and incompetent. And I think maybe the last part is what should concern us the most, whether it's a pandemic or a terrorist response. You need competency, you need you need effectiveness, you need to be able to get shit done. And this dude can't get anything done, and, and, and he seems to always say the wrong thing. So, you know, we laugh about the groundhog and things like that, but, you know, I've never seen a leader in a place that I live that is so universally detested outside of Saddam Hussein. Saddam Hussein is the only leader I've seen that was more hated by the people in the area he reigned over than Bill de Blasio. And Bill de Blasio, in my view, in New York City, the, the hate for him is more widespread than even for Trump, because Trump's got some people who like him. Blasio doesn't have anybody left he likes. No, and I think the Blasio for, could, yeah, Blasio could hold a party for all his supporters and still and still uh, be within the COVID limits of twenty five uh, people in a room. So quick, that's so, what I think. So quickly, and and the largest city, I think we hit on it. But anything you want to add on on your take on where the city is now? Um, yeah, we're back. Um, there's a sign. The light came back on. The lights going on uh, off because the heat coming off you is so intense. It's blowing out the lights. I man. know. Uh, as Hank Azari would say, it's my watermelonist. Um, that's a birdcage reference, if you don't know. Um, I don't know, man. I haven't been to Manhattan. Uh, I talked to my brother Andy. He's a, you know, you know, he lives there. He's a captain in Soho on the fire department. And he says there's really not many residents left in Soho. Um, you know, not many stores left either after the, uh, after the looting. Um, 
So I think I think the reports of, of people leaving the city are, are probably more true than than city lovers want to admit. Um, I think the crime and the quality of life things, you know, I'm I'm seeing pictures and 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 I'm getting texts, you know, on my groupies and it's not really painting a pretty picture. It's kind of looking like it did in the eighties. Yep. Um, yep. So, and, and, and it impacts everybody because there's tourism's gone, right? Like, so, so if you think, ah, oh, shit, I don't care about New York, think about the tourism and how much of a draw that is for the country. Broadway's still down, you know, Madison square garden's still down. Every concert is still down. You yeah. know, maybe Saturday night live is going to start to limp back to life, but so many epicenters of business and culture are down and if you think to yourself, ah, you know, I don't care about New York, um, I think you should because it, it impacts everybody. And we're seeing similar challenges in other places like San Francisco and Miami. And, and you know, as usual, it maybe is a canary in the coal mine for what is to come. Let me shift gears with you, Rob. And I, you've been really patient with your time and your energy. You're blowing out lights. Um, what, rapid fire. So you gave me what was angry. Uh, right. Tell me quickly, because I don't think you got these questions. What's your drink of choice? Uh, single malt Scotch whiskey, preferably uh, the Balvenie, Glenlivet. You know, not into the peaty stuff, so I keep it simple. Do you think all firefighters drink better now since nine eleven? Uh, like they drink, drink they drink better? more high quality stuff than they used to. Oh no, I was drinking that in college, man. I was always a, uh, an aristocrat. When somebody uh, else is buying your drinks, <laughs> when someone else is buying your drinks for a decade and a half, you uh, tend to upgrade, right? Yeah, you'd be surprised. There's, there's a lot, lot of guys of, uh, drinking. There's a lot, a lot of guys of Gimmis, drinking Oban. There's a lot of guys drinking Oban who used to be drinking Maker's Mark, right? <laughs> Maybe there's still a lot of guys drinking Jameson, though. That's true. That's true. All right, um, Rob, Sarah, what was your first car? My first car was a 1988 Nissan Pathfinder. I was I went away to high school, man. I had to drive a truck full of all my stuff. Um, so when I finally got a car and I could drive myself to and from school, I had to have something something uh, useful. But you'll be happy to know that that once I graduated, I traded my brother my Pathfinder for his '88 Mustang 5.0 convertible. So. I'd like to go with that as my first car. All right, so, but you, 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 we can give you an, an alibi on that one. But the first one, the Pathfinder. What color was your awesome Pathfinder? It was metallic red. That's not a factory color, right? It was, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was like, you know, it had a little hint to it. It wasn't quite fire truck red, but it was close. Ah, and then the, the, the 5.0, the Mustang? It was black. Black. Was it yeah. hard top? Soft top. And the, the top was black too? Yeah. And it was at what year? 80? 88. That's kind of like the terrible time for Mustangs, right? Weren't the 80s like really kind of terrible for Mustangs? In my view, I don't know what you think. Um, Mustangs go through some tough times. As far as aesthetics, yes. But as far as racing, uh, the Fox body Mustangs still do pretty good. So, there you, go. you know. All right. T- t- tell me this because I will admit that I am a massive sports fan. I'm trying to keep up, but I'm doing a shitty job. What do you think we need to know about hockey right now? If people aren't tracking the hockey, you're a hockey junkie. I hope everyone will support the FDNY hockey team. Uh, we're going to do some events when we're able to do events again and when we're able to um, get it on again. We were supposed to do it in March at Madison Square Garden, but Righteous Media and I and our entire network are going to do all we can to support the FDNY hockey team and, uh, and, and the NYPD when they do reunite for a clash. They also clash in boxing and football and everything else and a lot of other 
uh, first responder teams around the country do this as well. But big picture hockey, what do you think? What, what do you, what's your take on hockey right now, and what the, uh, you know, the casual watcher or fan needs to know about? I mean, it's it's weird uh, that these playoffs aren't getting as much juice as, as they should be, especially with a New York team doing so well, even though it's it's the wrong team. Um, the Islanders. The Islanders, yeah. I mean, I'd love to root against them, but Ray was such a big Islanders fan. Uh, you know, I got a soft spot in there. Um, but, you know, with, with Dallas uh, playing a good team game, I don't know if you, how much you know about hockey, but Dallas has, you know, they're kind of like the lunch pail team. They have some good stars and a good goalie, but, but you know, they're, they're pretty deep. Um, and the Islanders are kind of similar. So I think that would be a good series if they could pull it out. But Tampa is just stacked. Tampa has, has, uh, you know, they, they got the snipers, they got the guys who can do the, you know, Kucherov and, 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 uh, and point, you don't know these names, but those guys are unbelievably talented. Um, they're due. If you believe in due, like my grandmother used to say, watching the Yankee games, you know, guys off for four, he's due. And, uh, with the with the cigarette dangling off her lip, she was amazing. She used to take me and my two me and my two brothers to Yankee Stadium by herself and argue with the uh, scalpers because she knew the stadium better than them. One time, she told a guy he told her there were box seats behind the dugout. She took one look at him and said, "These aren't on the dugout. And if he's a fake, I'm going to come back here and shoot you." <laughs> my brother Andy was like twelve at the time. He grabbed me and Joey and started running. The guy was hysterical laughing. You know, they all knew her. But anyway. That was Grandma Dot. Um, <laughs> you got to do a whole series on Grandma Dot. This is Grandma incredible. Dot was unbelievable. They used to call her the moped lady because she used to ride around Staten Island on a moped. <laughs> yeah. What color was the moped? I have no idea. I love to ask my dad. <laughs> she was awesome. She was a so tough me, lady. She was a baseball me, player let me, herself. Let me ask you this as a dad because you and I like to talk about dad shit, right, and parent shit. Um, you know, I've had moments of sadness like we all have during the pandemic, I think, and, and um, you know, there's a little bit of mourning, right? There's a tragedy. This is a tragedy. It's okay to admit that. And, and you know, I'm going to talk it through with my therapist and maybe others will as well. I encourage folks to find someone to talk to because there is a sadness. And one of the things that got me, man, was, uh, I never took Ryder to a Yankee game. We were waiting for the right day when we could go with his grandfathers and we could, you know, do it right. Right. And he had turned, this was going to be the year. Because when you try to take a two-year-old to a game, it's kind of nuts, right? But, like, the real first time at the Yankee game was going to be this year. And I always remember going and, you know, being the nosebleeds. My dad would get tickets donated from Con Ed where he worked, and we'd, be, we'd see Reggie Jackson with binoculars, and I'd scream so loud that when I went into school the next day, I couldn't talk. But I got sad thinking, you know what? He might never go to a Yankee game, or he might not go to a Yankee game where we're in there and it's packed and the place is rocking – and that just left me a little sad. We'll adjust. We'll overcome, right? But, uh, you know, do, do, you, do you think we're going to get any more Yankee games like we used to? And do you, do you think that our kids will have that kind of experience? Or what do you think? You're a sports guy. Your kids are athletes. What do you think? You know, I hope so. Um, and I'm glad you brought this up because this is actually something I was thinking about last night. Um, that's funny. Get out of my head. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm, I'm lucky, man. We, my, I got to bring my whole family to a Ranger game, you know, in early March, uh, which turned out would probably be Henrik Lundqvist's last game at Madison Square Garden. So I'm, I'm happy that we got that moment in. 
all my kids have been to Yankee games. They love it mostly for the popcorn and the cotton candy, but you're right. I mean, there's nothing like that experience. Um, and that's what ba- baseball in particular, more than other sports has that nostalgia and that comfort, um, which has been there for me and my family. You know, my, my wife who worked for the Yankees, she used to record the games when she was at work so she could watch them when she came home because the Yankees were her comfort after 9-11. You know, mm-hmm. it's what got her through her dad dying. Uh, her dad was a huge Mickey Mantle Yankee fan, like all our dads, right? Um, and that's what the Yankees did for her, and that's what made her want to go work there. Um, you know, she left a job on Wall Street to go work for the Yankees after 9-11 just to feel better um, and be closer to the game. Um, and last night I was thinking about this because Aaron Judge came back off his injury and I was thinking about the first, my first outing after my last neck surgery was to a Yankee game with my dad. Uh, and we sat in the front row down the right field line and Aaron Judge, you know, I was wearing my firehouse hat and he ran out onto the field and he gave me, a, you know, we call it the squad nod, like the acknowledgement <laughs> nod. Um, and I thought it was pretty cool. You know, Aaron Judge gave me a little bit of acknowledgement my first day back. And then, uh, you know, an inning later, he tossed, he was warming up with the ball boy and then he tossed me the ball. And I was just like, you can't beat that. I'm here with my dad. You know, I survived this fucking surgery and, and Aaron Judge, the man, recognizes me and throws me a ball. And then the Yankees came back in the ninth inning and beat the Red Sox. There's nothing like seeing that in person. Um, you know, my probably my biggest game was the Aaron Boone game. I was in left field and watched that home run. You're not going to recreate that crowd. I thought the stadium was going to collapse. You know, you're not going to get that, you know, with tarps on the seats. I hope you're wrong and, and your son will get to have those moments like I did with, with my crazy grandmother and my dad and my son. Uh, I think we'll get there, man. I, I really do. Um, I just think it's going to take a couple of years, but, but I think we need that sort of stuff, you know, especially, you know, I love the, you know, I love hockey and, and I think it's the best sport to watch live, but there's just something about walking into Yankee stadium. Uh, it's a feeling that you don't get walking in anywhere else. I love it. Sorry, Mets fans. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, let me ask you the, the last question here, cause you got into it a little bit, but I want to give you a chance. Uh, Rob, Sarah, what makes you happy? Um, my, my, my kids, man, they make me smile all day long. Um, right now that's, I wouldn't say it's all that makes me happy, but it's enough. You know, they're, they're great. They're smart. They're funny. Francesca is a wise ass and it makes me proud every time she bakes a wisecrack. <laughs> you know, I, 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 uh, you know, I remember. I mean, we, we, your kids are I feel it, man. Your, kid, you your kids are coming for you, man. They are smart. I, I appreciate uh, it. Yeah, you know, it makes me. You know, I get a little, a little piece of the firehouse back in my own house. So, I mean, what else is there? You know, my family and my kids. Uh, you know, I like watching sports and stuff, and I love talking to people like you and having discussions. And but at the end of the day, it just makes you know my happiness is based on, on their happiness. If they're happy and they're doing well and, and having fun and breaking my chops, then, then life, it doesn't matter. All the other stuff is nonsense. You know, got to focus on the micro and hopefully people like you can figure out the macro. So they have a, uh, a, a better country to live in. Well, 
one team, one fight. And you are uh, one of my favorite people in the world. Uh, you're the only guest I've interviewed in a long time, I think ever, that my son really wanted to talk to, right? Because everybody else is kind of a, a, a chump compared to you. Like you walk on water with my kids and with me and with our family. And uh, I'm just honored to know you. I got a couple quick gifts coming your way. You got the Oscar Mike Angry Americans t-shirt. I know you got some of these, but I'll get you some more. Nice. Uh, and you got the Uncle Nearest whiskey. This uh, this one I drank a little bit of, um, but you're going <laughs> to get a fresh bottle of the best whiskey in America, Uncle Nearest, UncleNearest.com. And then nice. I, I don't think you ever got the peeps question. So no. this is, everybody's been reading my tweets. Some crazy shit going on. Peeps I'm are not nervous. being made for Halloween. It is a sign of how crazy our country is getting. There are no peeps for Halloween. There may be no peeps for Christmas. They're trying to bulk up for Easter. You've all been tweeting me because you know that we talk about peeps on this show. And uh, peeps still should be a fucking sponsor. They're not. But it takes <laughs> us to our question. Rob, Sarah, as the light goes out again, yellow, blue, or pink, what color of peeps would you choose and why? Um. I would just choose the yellow man. I'm an OG. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know if I ever told you this story, but my uh, freshman year at Hobart, somehow cases of yellow peeps ended up in the dorm. Like, I'm talking like it, like it fell out of a truck, you know, one of those type of things. And somehow it turned into a massive peep fight. There were millions of peeps everywhere. People, it was like a food fight, but only peeps. And my dorm, they called it the super dorm. It was actually three dorms combined. Uh, and it was an all-out war. Um, yeah, so that's, you know, the yellow peeps are always in my mind. That was, that was pretty fun. So Yeah, hook you up with Jason Dempsey. You guys can combine forces. <laughs> the story last episode about setting him on fire when he was in Afghanistan. So the peep story, every time, I'm so glad I didn't get rid of this damn question. But uh, – <laughs> I am more glad that I know you, man. You're a true American hero. I know how hard this last couple of years especially has been for you and how much guts it takes to get up every day and keep fighting. And I want you to know that I love you for it and I'm grateful for it. And all of us who have been following you even before I had you on the show, but especially the folks in, in this community that have been listening to you since episode two, I've been rooting for you. Um, you inspire us. We got your back. I wish you were our mayor. I wish you were our president. Uh, but until then, you will be a huge source of inspiration and a true hero, man. We love you and, and want to send our best to your family um, and, and, to, and to the Yanks. <laughs> yeah, and to Luke Voigt hitting bombs. Uh, yeah, just thanks, man. And thanks to all your listeners uh, you know, who've become my friends on Twitter um, for the support that they showed me and, and everyone who reached out last week. Uh, didn't go unnoticed, and I, and I really appreciate it. And it really does help. So. Oh. I, I, don't, I don't know what to I've started saying to people, I'm like, hey, happy 9-11. I mean, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, but I'm like, fuck, I don't know what else to say anymore. So, you know, we got to try to make the most out of it if we can. And just talking to you on, on, on days like that make me happy. And uh, you're the spirit that came out of that time. And you're the real king of fucking Staten Island. I think <laughs> I, don't, I don't care what they say. You're the king of Staten Island. We're going to keep banging on the drum. I definitely have better tattoos than that guy. Totally. Totally, totally. Yeah. All right. We love you very much. Best to the family. Ladies and gentlemen, the great and powerful Rob Sarah coming to Twitter and a, uh, and, and, and a backyard near you. 
with his tattoos and his <laughs> grandma dot scooter and all the Staten Island isms <laughs> that you heard today. Thank you, man. We love you. Stay frosty. All right. Love you guys. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. There's plenty of reason to be hot. Plenty of reason to be angry, but there's always a way to turn that anger, sadness, frustration, inspiration, agony, that fire into positive impact. And I'm always going to give you a way to do it by being a helper. It's time to help put out the fire. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines, because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. Every pod, I offer a way to convert your righteous, understandable fire into positive action. Positive action that shows that angry Americans can also be impactful Americans. An action that channels your fire, makes you feel good, and makes a difference. And like this show, our actions are always packed with the four I's. Integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. Especially now. More than any other time in our lifetime, we need people who are willing to face the fire. And we need everyone to handle the heat. Hey, little girl, is your daddy home? Did he go and leave you all alone? I got a bad Burn pits are the Agent Orange of our generation. Millions of veterans, just like me, were deployed overseas after 9-11. We stepped up, we stepped forward, we faced the fire. But all around us was medical waste, military waste, and all kinds of other crap burning. Jet fuel and other propellants were put on it and set on fire. When I was in Kuwait, we were around them for weeks. They were all across Iraq and all across the Middle East. And now, many of my friends are sick. Many of my friends are coming up with cancer. Many of our fellow Americans are coming up with cancer. History is repeating itself. It's just like we saw after Vietnam with Agent Orange. It's just like we saw after 9-11 with the exposures that are killing and have already killed far too many, like Rob Sarah. Now, the enemy is burn pits, and we need your help. Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America and many other veterans organizations are leading the charge alongside John Stewart, and you can help. Go to IAVA.org backslash burn dash pits. That's India Alpha Victor Alpha.org backslash burn pits. You can find ways to get involved, get resources, and spread the word. The wildfire of information is one that we do want to spread, and you can help by going to IAVA.org backslash burn pits. You can help us extinguish the fires and cool the pain facing millions of Americans and their families nationwide. You can be a helper. So grab a bucket and join the fire line. And if you've got a story to tell or a resource to share, join the Bucket Brigade and join us on social media using the hashtag AngryAmericans and let me know. Don't just be angry, be active. 
Just like America and a good firehouse, this show is a team effort. So I want to thank all the folks to help make it happen. Most of all, Rob Sarah and his amazing wife and kids, the entire Sarah family. You are an amazing family. You're an inspiration to all of us. And every one of you are a hero. Thank you, especially to Rob for leading the charge, but to the entire Sarah family for being an inspiration when we need it the most. Thanks also to the Ray Pfeiffer Foundation, to Lori and the entire team there that continues to step forward into the fire to help our 9-11 first responders. Check out the Ray Pfeiffer Foundation. Donate and spread the word if you can. John Stewart, an awesome human being. Been honored to know him. I hope he'll join us on this show sometime soon. Thanks to the IAVA team, the Burn Pits 360 team, and all the other veterans groups that are leading the charge and finally breaking the seal on Burn Pits. Thanks to the Righteous Media team, Mighty Mercy Rich, Creative Chris Rosenthal, Brilliant Bill Schultz, and the water in our hose, Uncle Nearest, our friends at Uncle Nearest Whiskey, the best whiskey in America. Go to UncleNearest.com, hear their inspiring story, and get some of their amazing whiskey. We thank them for the support for Angry Americans and Righteous Media. Thanks to our Vigilant Patreon sponsors. If you're not one of them, you can join now by finding us on Patreon. Sign up now and you can be a part of this movement and help us keep these important stories coming. Help me continue to bring important, iconic, and inspiring American stories throughout the pandemic, throughout the election, and into the future. Our Patreon members make that possible. Thank you to all of them. And give us a call. Send us a tweet. I always want to hear from you. We have a hotline, 833-33-ANGRY. Call, tweet, post on our social, and you know what'll happen. I'll make you famous. But it's not about being famous. It's about sticking together. And I want to thank you all for doing that, especially my family, my amazing wife and two boys. They continue to push forward. They're always incredibly supportive of me, especially around 9-11 and all the other first responders. And they are first responders in our home every single day. So my thanks to Lori Ryder and River for all that you guys do. I love you so much. And please continue to tell your friends to check this podcast out. The fire is spreading when it comes to angry Americans. And if you're on an Apple device, leave the show a quick review. It only takes a minute. Subscribe now for free, and I will have it very hot and waiting for you every Thursday night. We may also continue to bring shows more frequently than that, but I've got some incredible guests coming up. I locked a couple in this week. I don't want to spill the beans, but check our social media for more. And every Wednesday, you can always guess the guest. Seriously, do it. Do it. Do it. Keep that feedback coming. I see you. I hear you. I'm with you. Go to angryamericans.us where you can sign up for our newsletter. You can get links to our YouTube page and you can watch video. You can see Rob Sarah and you can see how messy and disorganized my garage is. I've stopped trying to get a room reader score. And this is the I don't give a shit section of my garage for the next couple of weeks. So you can see inside what a mess of a garage I've got going on. But we'll continue to adapt, improvise, and overcome, and keep the fire burning. So stay tuned, subscribe for free, and share, and we will continue to grow week by week by week. It's okay to be angry, especially now, and know you're not alone. We're all a little angry, and that's because we are paying attention. I turned to the north, you know what the preacher said. He said, no, I'm strong to box with God, learn these words instead. Go to the reflecting, my advice is free. There's a trick to Christian values, and it's compulsory. Stay frosty, that's what the preacher man said. Stay frosty. But we're also staying cool. We got to keep a cool head no matter how hot the fires get. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Stay frosty. No matter how hot it gets, no matter how intense the flames. Keep your cool, and we'll get through it if we stay frosty. And stay vigilant, America. 